Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. You've been standing for a long time, uh, but but uh, Christmas. I had a great Christmas. We we got I got a lot of cool gifts. Uh, I was early this year in my Christmas shopping. Um, I did go to the mall the day before Christmas. I've never seen so many men in one place at one time in my entire life. The mall was filled with men scrambling, smelling perfumes, looking in the jewelry cases. I saw every man that I've ever met in the mall on that day. Guys I hadn't seen in 20 years, I saw them at the mall the day before Christmas. But I got my shopping done. I think I went to take something back. But I am one of those Christmas people, and maybe you'll follow one of those one of these categories. Some of us, when it comes to Christmas, and we, 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 our loved ones ask us what we want, some of us tell them what we want, but some of us are very uh, uh, efficient and we tell people what we need. Now, I fall into what I want category. Um, I don't want you to take it upon yourself to get me what I need. I'll get what I need for myself. On Christmas, I want you to get me what I want. And so I, I got all the wonderful things that I want from my wife and from my family. And, and so there was one thing that I actually needed, though, one thing that I actually needed, but, but I just didn't care to do with it. And what I actually needed was I needed, I needed a new phone. Um, as you can see, my phone has been through a lot. It's been, 2022 was rough for my phone. I, I have the iPhone 8. It's so judgy. I have an iPhone 8. Um, they stopped making the iPhone 8 in 2017, right? And, and so there's been about six generations since the iPhone 8. And, and I've had this phone for quite some, some time, and this became obsolete in 2020. And I've dropped this phone, obviously, I've dropped this phone countless times. I, and I don't have a case because at this point, this phone has become a case study. It, it is a case study in, in, in durability and, and, and long-suffering, and at this point, I'm just trying to see how much longer I can keep this phone and keep dropping it until it stop, stops working altogether, right? And, and, and so when I think about this phone, I think about words that, that, that could describe this phone, uh, durable, sturdy, uh, uh, long-lasting, but, but as I think about this phone, the, the word that comes to mind is that this phone is faithful. No matter how many times I drop this phone, it keeps on working. If you guys may be too old for this, but there was a commercial about a product a long time ago. It said it takes a licking and keeps on ticking. And this phone takes a licking and it keeps on ticking. And and this phone is faithful. And, And as I read today's passage, I thought about this phone because this phone, no matter what happens, no matter how many times I drop it, it, it keeps showing up for me. And the one word that I would use to describe this phone is faithful. And if there's one word that would describe God in the passage that we will study today, it is the word faithful. God is a faithful God, right? And so we're going to start a sermon series today called Faithful. This is going to be our word for the year. The word for the year is faithful. But the faithfulness is not about you. The faithfulness is about God. Because there's nothing that, if we are in God, there's nothing that we can do to get rid of God. There's nothing that you can do to make God stop loving you, right? And so we're going to read about the faithfulness of God today in Exodus chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. And here's what it says. And this is Moses. This is Moses who writes 
the book of Exodus, and this is the Lord speaking to Moses at this point. The Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be prepared by morning. Come up Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. No one may go up with you. He's telling Moses, don't bring anybody to the mountaintop with you. In fact, no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and herds are not to graze in front of that mountain. And so Moses did what God told him to do. Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning and taking two stone tablets in his hand, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. And something crazy happens. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and God did something interesting. He proclaimed his own name, the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. If you have a physical Bible, you take notes, I want you to underline the Lord. Everywhere you see the Lord, we're going to underline. So I I want to start reading this. Verse 5, the Lord came down in the cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name. The Lord. Verse 6, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. Once again, the Lord. What does it say next? The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. This is God revealing himself to Moses. And once God reveals himself to Moses and Moses gets a greater revelation of who God is, Moses has the right response. Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. Then he said, my my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us. Please go with us, even though this is a stiff-necked people. Forgive our iniquity and our sin and accept us as your own possession. And the Lord responded, look, I am making a covenant in the presence of all your people. I'll perform wonders that have never been done in the whole earth or in any nation, all the people you live among will see the Lord's work for what I am doing with you is all aspiring. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you today for your word. I thank you for your people. We thank you, Lord, for this new year. I pray that today's message will set a pace for us as we move forward. I pray that we will grow in you this year, Lord. I pray that you would use us in ways that we cannot even imagine. Lord, I pray that you would do supernatural work in our own lives and in the life of our church. Ultimately today through the message, God, I pray that your son Jesus would be exalted, that he would be made known, that he would be made famous today, that we would worship his name and who he is, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray this prayer in your son Jesus' name and the people of God said, amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. From the sermon series, Faithful. I I have a sermon title today and... We may, we, we may need to actually write this sermon title down because I firmly believe that you will need these four words somewhere between today, January 1st, and December 31st. You, you will need these words. You, you will need these words. And here's my sermon title today. You need to know this and remember this from January 1st all the way through December 31st. You need this. And here's what you need to know. Here's my sermon title today. God is for you. 
God is for you. We will need this when we reach our highest highs this year. And when we reach our lowest lows, we will be tempted to believe at some point this year that God is working against us. But here's what you need to know. This needs to be in your mind and in your heart that God is for you. Whether it seems like something happens at some point this year that comes unexpectedly, if something happens due to your own disobedience, I need you to know that even in light of that, that God is for you. If you are in Christ, if you are in God, God is for you because God is faithful. You, you need to know that, that, that God is for you. Somebody is sitting here today and you're not sure that God is for you. Maybe it's because of where your life is right now. Maybe you're not as far out along as you think you should be. Maybe you've done some things that you're not proud of. Maybe you've made some mistakes. Maybe you've made some decisions that you feel like that, that maybe because I did this, God is not with me. But I want to tell you, if you are in him and you bear his name, God is for you. God is for you. And there's nothing that testifies to the faithfulness of God than the story of the Exodus that we find in the Old Testament. This, this Exodus is about the people of God. They are in Egyptian slavery, bondage, captivity because of their own disobedience. They, they are serving a hard taskmaster. They've been in slavery and in bondage for many years. And, and so God, by his own divine initiative, not because of anything that they did, not because they were good, not because they were numerous, not because they were good people, God in his own love and divine initiative chose to save them and bring them out of bondage. But God didn't just save them for no reason. God saved them so that they would serve him. God, God decided that I'm going to save them. They will be a people for my own possession. They will be my treasured people, and I will use these people who are now in bondage. I will bring them out, and I will use them for my own glory to be a light to the nations. God said that I'm going to make you my own people. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And so here's a quick theology lesson. Exodus is divided in two parts. Chapters 1 through 19 of the book of Exodus is about the people being in slavery. They, they are in bondage. They've been in bondage for many years. They can't get themselves out of it. And so it records that God is raising up a leader by the name of Moses. And Moses will be a mediator. He'll be a prophet. He'll be a deliverer, deliverer of his people. And so the chapters 1 through 19 kind of records what's going on there. The people are in slavery and God does all of these miraculous acts, the Red Sea parts. God delivers them, brings them out. That is chapters 1 through 19. Then we get to chapters 20 through 40, Everything happens at Mount Sinai. You may not read your Bible, be familiar with the story, but after God brings them out through the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness for quite some time. But, but God calls them to a place called Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where God will speak to Moses. God's presence will be there. God will speak to the mediator, to the leader of the people. He will speak to Moses. But at Mount Sinai, something else happens that you may be very familiar with, and you've heard this before. Even if you're not a Christian and not a Bible reader, God gives them something. You and I call them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments happen at Mount Sinai. And so God gives them the Ten Commandments. Remember, they, they were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. Now they are servants of Christ. 
It's no different than us. When we, before we were saved, we were servants of sin and Satan. But now after Christ has saved us, we are now slaves of Christ. We no longer serve the world. We no longer serve Satan. But now God has saved us, but God saved us for something, and that is to serve him. And so this is what happens. Chapters 1 through 19 is about them being in bondage and slavery and them being delivered. Chapters 20 through 40 is about God giving them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And so here's what you need to know. Oftentimes, we think about the Ten Commandments, we have the wrong perspective. We think that there are rules and regulations, but they're not just rules and regulations. They are the guidelines and means to a fruitful and faithful relationship with the Lord. And so I'll I'll help you later with this, but God gives them the Ten Commandments because God is in a covenant relationship with them. And so I want to just give you this theological word, you can keep it. You can refer to it whenever you read it in the Bible. But, but here's the definition of, of what a covenant is. And this is what God makes with Israel. God makes a covenant with them. It is a bond that commits and binds people to one another in a relationship. A biblical covenant is a bond in blood that is sovereignly administered. When God enters into a covenantal relationship with men, he sovereignly institutes a life and death bond. God promises to keep his word. God will never go back because God is in covenant relationship with us. And so we think about covenant, we think about the Ten Commandments, we kind of get a little, oh, rules, and I can't keep all those things. And we kind of like turn our nose up at the Ten Commandments, right? But Because th- these are some guidelines, but, but it's no different than when we hear wedding vows. And we go to a wedding, you've been to the wedding before, and the Preacher says, for better or worse, for sickness and health and for richer and poor, and all the ladies are there, and they're like, oh, my God, that's so sweet. Oh, my God, this, that's beautiful. And we all, none of us object against it. Why don't we object to it? Because we know that with these guidelines for richer or poor, sickness and health, better or worse, it is the means to a fruitful relationship. And if we keep this covenant the way that we've, we've repeated these vows at the wedding, we, we can have a better chance of a long-lasting, fruitful relationship. But when God puts in guidelines for his relationship with us, we have a problem with it. And, and so if you can get the warm and fuzzies at a wedding about the, the rules and regulations of that, then we should feel the same way about our relationship with God. The, the, the problem is, is that we think that the Ten Commandments are an obstacle to us flourishing when actually they are the means for us to flourish, right? And, and, and so the, the law, the, the Ten Commandments, was, was a means for them to live the life that they were actually created to live. The Ten Commandments were a blessing to them because God was telling them how to have a fruitful and flourishing relationship with him. But the problem for them is the same for us. It's a twofold problem. Number one, we believe we know what's best for us better than God does. We believe that we know how to obtain happiness and peace and joy for our own lives better than God does. And you may say, no, I don't. But whenever you disobey God, that is you saying, God, I know how to make myself happy better than you do. But the second problem that we have, and this is major, we believe that we want what's best for us more than God does. We think that we want our lives to be more prosperous and fruitful than God does. The truth of the matter is, God wants more peace and joy for you than you could ever want for yourself. But the reason why it's hard for us to believe that is because we don't know who God is. We don't know who God 
is. The most mind-blowing thing that we struggle with is to believe that God wants more peace, more joy, and fulfillment for us than we could ever want for ourselves. And so God wants it for us, so therefore God gives us the rules of engagement to have a path of blessing and reward in our lives. But we have a problem with it because we don't understand the heart of God. If we don't truly know who God is, it'll be hard to believe that when things aren't going our way, that God is for us. And I think we're in in our generation, we have a casual, sometimes apathetic relationship with God because we don't truly know who God is. But who better to tell us who God is than God himself? And if we know who he is, it is a means to a better relationship. It, it, It can safeguard us against believing that God is out to harm us and God doesn't mean good for us. And so here's what happened. God brings them to Mount Sinai. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And throughout the narrative, here's what happens. That before they get the Ten Commandments and after they get to the Ten Commandments, several times in the text through Exodus, the people say, God, we're going to do everything that you told us. God, God, we're going to do everything that you told us to do. We're going to do everything. And so by the time we get to chapter 24, Moses is going up to talk to God because God says, I want the people to build me a tabernacle. Stay with me because this is a great story. If you think the Bible is boring, you had not been reading right. This is so interesting. The, the people like, yes, God is for us. We have the Ten Commandments. It's, it's good. We love God. He loves us. He brought us out of Egypt. This is great. We're going to do everything that he said for us to do. And so God calls Moses up the mountain and says, Moses, I'm going to give you some instructions on how to build a tabernacle. And I'm going to give you these tablets with the Ten Commandments on it to take back down. So God is up talking to Moses. The problem is God is, Moses is gone for a long time. It's been 40 days and Moses is still up the mountain. So it's over a month, about a, about a month and a half, Moses is up the mountain talking to God. And guess what the people are doing? They're not down there singing, I give myself away so you can use me. That's not what they're doing. The people are like, this dude God gave us to lead us, he's been going a long time. We hadn't heard from him and we hadn't heard from God. We don't know what God is doing. We've been praying, we've been seeking, we've been fasting, but we hadn't heard from God. So what are we going to do? We're going to make a counterfeit God for ourselves. We're going to create... We're going to create a golden calf. And so they get the dude that God, that, that Moses left in charge, his older brother. Moses is the younger brother. Moses is the little brother. His brother Aaron, his older brother. The people come to him and say, hey, he's gone. Uh, let us make our own God. And he says, I think that's a great idea. Give me all your jewelry. And he takes their jewelry and they build a golden calf. And they start worshiping. Here's what we miss in the Ten Commandments. You know what God says before the Ten Commandments? God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. And and the first commandment is what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What's the second commandment? Do not make a god for yourself. It's been less than two months, and they're already breaking the first two commandments. Literally. But that reminds us of us. Somebody in here made a New Year's resolution. And here's what the parallel is. If, if this was January for them, round about February, they've already broken all the commandments and all the promises that they made to God. The diet has already been broken. The exercise regimen that you went and bought exercise clothes for is already over. It's a wrap. 
brought new Nikes, cross trainers, and everything. Air Max, and it's already over. The, the early morning devotion and Bible reading that I plan to do is already out the window. The, the budget is already blown to smithereens. Starbucks and McDonald's have already came to kill, steal, and destroy your entire budget. The plans to tithe and give generously are already on the back burner. I'm going to start tithing this year. It's the first week of January, and you're already sitting here. How am I going to shortchange God this morning? The sin that you promised God you was not going to do anymore is alive and in living color. We're gonna bre- I'm breaking up this year. I'm breaking up. I don't need that negative energy in my life. I don't need those negative people in my life. He's no good. He's been waiting all these years. He still hasn't told me what our, fu- what our future plans are. And guess what? You're still there. I think it's crazy. It's like 40 days, and they, they, they give up. It's, like, it's almost like if they started in January, it kind of went off course around Valentine's Day. That's just like us. We're not any better than them. They created a golden calf, but we create our own rendition of a golden calf. So what does Moses do? Moses comes back down with the tablets that God gave him, with the Ten Commandments, that God provided the tablets, and God wrote the Ten Commandments with his own fingers, according to the Scripture. Moses comes down. He is so furious that he breaks the tablets. He breaks them. Literally, he's so frustrated that he breaks the tablets with the Ten Commandments on him. He, he can't, but he's beside himself at the people's disobedience. Like, like the golden calf wasn't just some, ooh, I made a mistake. Ooh, I said a little curse word. No, this is a picture of one of the most flagrant things that you can do. Because essentially what they're doing by creating the calf is saying, the calf brought us out of Egypt. The calf saved us. God, you did nothing. So so this is some high-handed, crazy, flagrant, immoral type of stuff. Like, this is the worst of the worst. This is what the golden calf incident is trying to get get across to us, that this is the worst kind of sin to attribute deliverance to somebody else besides God. So Moses, bless his heart, he intercedes for the people. God's like, "I'm, I'm done. I'm done. But Moses intercedes. He prays for the people and says, God, give us another chance. And Moses says, God's like, I'm cool with you, Moses, but I'm not cool with them. And Moses never speaks in terms of being an individual, but he always speaks in terms of a corporate body. He says, God, don't leave us. God, don't leave us. How many times we pray and it's like, God, I don't know what you got doing with them, but save me. Get me out. I don't know what they got going on. I got nothing to do with that. I'm minding my business, drinking water in the new year. That's on them, but get me out. And Moses says, no, this ain't about me. You saved a people, not a person. Maybe our prayer should stop being so individualistic and maybe our prayer should be corporate. And so he intercedes, and God is like, okay, Moses, my presence will go with you. And Moses is like, cool. And he's just like us. Instead of just taking God's word, Moses says, but give me a sign. Show me your glory. 
And we see, show me your glory. It's like, oh, that's cool to ask for. Know what Moses is saying is, God, if we're going to go to Canaan, the land that you promised us, I hear what you're saying, that you've forgiven us, that you're going to go with us, but God, give me a sign. How many times has God given us something to do and God says, I, I do this, and we say, I'll do it if you give me a sign, God. Moses asked for a sign. Lord, I just need a sign. Give me a sign. Moses said, seeing is believing. And Moses, in a way, is living by sight and not by faith. Sometimes you can't see. Sometimes you just got to trust what God says. Just got to trust what he says in his word. And he says, you know what? You, you can't see me face to face. I let my goodness pass before you. You can't see me face to face and live because I'm too holy. And he says, better yet, you might see me. But there's nothing better than knowing who I am. God wants him to know who he is, not just see his face. Here's why this is important. Imagine, ladies, your man, somebody says, tell us why you love her. And he says, because she's so fine. Okay, but what else? She looks really good. What else? She's bad. What else? She's hot. What else? She's so fly. What else? Her body. What else? Her body. What else? Her body. What else? Her face is so beautiful. You're okay the first time he gives you a compliment on what you look like. But then, if he never communicates anything about who you are in your heart, you're like, wait a minute. Do you love me for me or what I look like? Same thing. God is like Moses if you know my heart, it'll help you better than looking at what my face looks like. And so God is going to reveal himself to him. And he invites Moses back up to Sinai 1 through 4. Read through this real quick. Lord says to Moses, remember Moses broke the tablets. Look at the first verse. The Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets. He underlined, which you broke. This is why the Bible, Bible reading is not funny. God is like, I just want to remind you that you broke the first thing that I gave you. So cut two new tablets. I gave you the first ones, but you broke it. Come up in the morning, and I'm going to give it to you again. God forgave them and decided to renew his covenant with Israel, and the blessings that they had before they sinned were still in effect. After all that they had done, the worst possible thing that they could ever do with the golden calf God still wanted a relationship with them. God, God, God reminded Moses that he broke the tablets, not, not necessarily as a dig at Moses, but a reminder that they, that, you, that they broke my covenant. But when God says, get two new tablets, here's what we see in the text, and here's what's important for us. God is willing to pick up the broken pieces. And you may feel like you've broken a relationship with God. And I'm here to tell you today that God is willing to pick up the broken pieces. That there's nothing so bad and so flagrant and so foul and so immoral that you've done that separates you from the goodness and grace and faithfulness of God. I'm here to tell you on January 1st of 2023 that, that God is for you. That God can put back together the broken pieces of your life. God can put back together what you 
have broken. God is showing us that he remains committed to his people. This is what a covenant relationship does, that even when something is broken, it can be put back together again. God is still saying that you are my people and I am your God. And most of us would think that God did this because Moses prayed. No, God didn't do that because Moses prayed. God did this because that's who God is. We think that God forgives us because we ask for it, not knowing that the nature of God is to be a forgiving God. It is who he is. God forgives like we breathe. We can't help it. It, it is essential to who we are. God is a forgiving God. He leans into forgiving you. He loves to forgive you. So today, if you feel like, man, there's something that I've done that is too, I, I jumped out the window. You've not too, gone too far from the reach of God. You can't outrun his mercy and you can't outrun his forgiveness. So here's what God says in defining himself, verses 5 through 7. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood there, proclaimed his name, the Lord. You want to underline 5, the Lord came down in a cloud, proclaimed his name, the Lord, underline it again. Verse 6, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. Verse 6 again, the Lord. Then he says again, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequence of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So the Lord, why does God keep saying the Lord over and over and over again? It's because his name is more than a title. His name describes who he is. There's no, no name that we can say that could ever encapsulate the totality of who God actually is. Like God, there is no name that can accurately describe God. But when he says the Lord, what he's saying, and it's so important, this is a covenantal name. God is, my name is the Lord. And here's what you need to know about the covenantal name. The covenantal name means God is for you. Every time you read the Lord, I need you to remember that God is for you. The God who is for you. This is God's own self-assessment of who he is. He says that he's compassionate. It means that he, he cares about our situation. He's sympathetic to our needs. He's gracious. He's merciful. Rather than giving us what we deserve, he gives us something that we don't deserve. He gives us the free gift of grace. I want to say something about this calling God compassionate and, and, and merciful or gracious. Here's what you need to know about this. There's only one word in the Bible that it says that God is rich in, and it says that God is rich in mercy. It doesn't describe God as being rich in anything else besides being rich in mercy. One theologian says that God is a billionaire in the currency of mercy, meaning that God never, almost never gives us what we deserve. God gives us grace. He gives us what we don't deserve, the gift of grace, salvation, free and full. He says that he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's slow to anger. Here's what this means. It means that God is not erratic. God is not volatile. God doesn't lose his temper. God doesn't have an itchy trigger finger. He waits a long time and gives the sinner an opportunity to repent. I want to say this. I want to pause for a second and say this. That, that if you live in this constant, I'm going to sin and I'll just repent because God is going to forgive me. If you live in that, that, that might not be a sign that you're actually a believer. 
I'm just going to say, God, forgive me. I know what I'm about to do. I know it offends God, but God is going to forgive me. We presume, presume upon the grace of God, right? But, but God's patience with us is not saying, I'm not seeing what you're doing. It's God giving us a chance to repent and turn from our sin. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Because we, we can oftentimes get into these patterns of con- continually doing something and think that because God is a forgiving God, then I can just keep doing it and God's going to forgive me. You might not be in Christ. But it says he's abounding in faithful love. Comes from this word, has said, which means that he has a special, unbreakable bond with us. Here's what you need to know about the faithfulness of God. However fickle and unreliable humans may be in their relationship with God, he is nothing of the sort. But he can be counted on in every situation and at all times to be completely faithful to his promises for his people. That God is reliable. That we can trust God. This is so important because David uses in three different Psalms, he describes God the same way as he's described in Exodus 34. The prophet Joel describes God in this way. Jonah, when he's running from God, God says, why did you run? Jonah says, I ran from you because I knew you were faithful and merciful God and that you will forgive me. He says, I ran because I knew that you were a forgiving God. This is who God is. Whatever there is to be said about God, he is merciful. Paul calls him the the, the father of of mercy. How, How much more evidence of the grace of God do we need than the Israelites doing the most flagrant thing that they've ever done? If there's any time for God to severely punish them and wipe them out, it will be now, but God forgives them of their sin. I love the way Dane Ortland puts it in his book, Gentle and Lowly. I I quote Gentle and Lowly like every month, Um, but this this is so important. It is God's own way of saying, there is no termination date on my commitment to you. You can't get rid of my grace to you. You can't outrun my mercy. You can't evade my goodness. My heart is set on you. Here's what we end up doing. We look for that kind of love and commitment from people. People don't have the capacity to give you that. People can't love you like that. So maybe what you're looking for is not found in a person. Maybe it's found in God. That, that, that's, that, that's it. That, that's, that's the life hack you've all been waiting for. I want somebody to love me like that. But look no further than King Jesus. God is the only one that has the capacity to love you like that. People will get mad at you. They will walk away from you. People in your family will give up on you, not claim you, not own you, not say that you're part of their family. They don't want anything to do with you. But God says, you can't get rid of me. Why wouldn't you want to be in a relationship with him? Why wouldn't you? So I do want to say this. And I'm almost done. We shouldn't presume upon the forgiveness of God because God is equally a God of justice. Just because God has unlimited grace does not mean that our sin has no consequence. If we read verse 7, he says, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. 
bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation, right? And, and, and so before you go claiming some generational sins in your family, let me just say this. If you're in Christ, all of the sins and curses have been broken. Stop saying that. It's bad theology. The truth of the matter is what he's saying is if the third and fourth generation continue to do what the previous generations did, they will face the same consequences. So what, what you don't know that we didn't read is that when they did this thing with the golden calf, Moses came down, told the Levites to kill a whole bunch of people. 3,000 people died because of their disobedience with the golden calf. So it's not like everybody got away with it. Some actually died because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And so whenever we presume upon the grace of God and say, God, just forgive me. I got to get out of jail free card. We, we, we cheapen the grace of God. Here's what I want to read you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's what he said in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Cheap grace is the idea that grace did it all for me so that I do not need to change my lifestyle. The believer who accepts the idea of cheap grace thinks he can continue to live like the rest of the world instead of following Christ in a radical way. The Christian lost in cheap grace thinks he can simply enjoy the consolations of his grace. But let me tell you this, God is compassionate and gracious, but God is also a God of mercy. A God of, God of, he's also a God of justice. God does something about sin, and so we have to hold intention that God is a God of compassion, but he's also a God of justice. So what does God do with our sin? He reconciled it and worked it out on the cross. The crucifixion satisfied God's justice. Jesus paid the debt for us. The debt was death. So when we look at the cross, it was an act once again of God's grace, his mercy, and his love for us. And anybody who puts their trust in the finished work of Christ has forgiveness free and full. Acts goes on to say that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. And so here's what I want to tell you, that everything that we've learned about God and his nature is found in Christ Jesus. The scripture says that he is the image of the invisible God. John writes, and when John is talking about the word becoming flesh, he says that we have seen his glory. He's referring back to Exodus 34. When he says we've seen his glory, what he's saying is we've seen Jesus. Jesus is who Moses was trying to see. The full picture is found in Christ Jesus. He, he is God in the flesh. And if you want someone to love you with mercy, grace, forgiveness, compassion. It is found in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. When we come to revelation of who God is, our response is to worship God. Our response is to obey God. Here's the problem with Israel as I close. Here's the problem with Israel. The law had no ability to save them. The law was a means to a fruitful relationship with God, but it did nothing to transform their hearts. They couldn't keep the law. So when we come into the new covenant, God gives us something. When you become a believer, you get something that enables you to obey God and gives you a desire to do so. It's called the Holy Spirit. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied about this coming Holy Spirit Here's what he says. 
So I'll sprinkle clean water on you and make you clean from all your idols and everything else that has defiled you. I'll give you a new heart and a new mind. I'll take away your stubborn heart of stone and give you an obedient heart. I will put my spirit in you and will see to it that you follow my laws and keep all the commands that I've given you. And so today, if you feel like, man, it's been hard for me to obey God in my life. There are areas where I struggle so much. I have a hard time doing what God asked me to do. If you are in Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. And we have to make a conscious effort of being aware that the Holy Spirit is given to us to empower us to obey God. I want to say this. If you don't have a desire to obey God and there's just nothing in you that convicts you of your sin and you just live your life, you say, I'm a Christian, but there's nothing radically different about you than before you came to Christ, you may not be in him. And so today, we want to offer the free gift of salvation to you that's found in Christ Jesus. That if you've been looking for a relationship where, 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 where someone's heart is set on you, where you can't outrun their love, that there's nothing that you can do to get them to break up with you. That if you've been looking for love and looking for this, this relationship, you've been looking for the one, you found him today. His name is Jesus. And he promises never to leave you or forsake you. And let me tell you this, if there's one word to describe who he is, it's faithful. You can't outrun his mercy. You can't outrun his grace. He is constant. He is unchanging. He will never switch up on you. He is today the same, yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. In, that, in the now and in eternity, he will always be the same. And so today, I extend the invitation to you to receive this free gift of salvation that is found in him. When Moses found out who God was, when he, when he got a further revelation, it says that he bowed down and worshiped God. He worshiped God because whenever we find out who God is, it merits a response. You don't get, you don't understand who God is and just say, oh, I'm cool on that. When you find out who God is, it merits a response. God draws us to himself. So today, if you are already in Christ and you have a relationship, my prayer is that, that today marks a day where, where you're not doing it in your own power. You're not doing it in your own might, but you lean daily on the grace of God, knowing that God is faithful to you, that God is not going to give up to give up on you. Somebody right now is in the middle of trying to make a decision, trying to figure things out. You don't have any direction. You're kind of uncertain. You're not sure about how things are going to work out or what you should do here or what you should do there. I want to tell you something. God is with you. God is faithful even in your confusion. God is faithful in your lack of clarity. I don't know what's going to become of this, but guess what God does? And God is right there with you. I don't know what job I'm going to take. I'm struggling financially. I don't know when this is going to be over. I don't know when I'm going to get past the season of my life. Guess what? God does, and he's with you right now. God is faithful. I've been in this sin for a long time. I'm struggling. It's hard for me to break free. I, I, can't, I can't get away from it. Guess what? If your heart is for God and you want to repent and give your life to him, God is faithful to forgive you and walk with you. For freedom, Christ has set us free. God will not leave you in your struggle. Your struggle actually draws God's heart to you. God is faithful. 
We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.